0: Welcome to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast with Alex McGrobs, international yoga teacher and sober coach. I broke up with Booze for Good in 2019, and now I'm here to help others do the same. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl. I am super excited for this particular episode because I have a guest with me who is not only in the sober world, but also really aligned with the path of yoga and the yoga work that we do at the Mindful Life Practice and Sober Curious Yoga. So I have with me today, Sophie, who is a recovery coach. She also works full-time as a brand strategist. She founded The Wolf You Feed and she was raised in switzerland and the uk but she's currently living in australia so welcome to the show sophie how are you today
1: hi alex so happy to be here thank you for having me
0: welcome i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, to be on the show
1: my pleasure absolute pleasure
0: so let's start off by you just kind of giving me a bit of context tell me about you your history, your childhood, and, and how you ended up from Switzerland and the UK all the way to Australia?
1: Sure. So well, I, I was born in Oxford um, in the UK. And when I was two, we moved over to Switzerland. So my parents, actually, my dad is Iranian. My mum is Swedish. They, they met in the UK. Um, and for work, my, my dad then, uh, you know, had to move over to Switzerland. So I've got two brothers and a sister and uh, the six of us went over to Switzerland. We were there for about 10 or so years um, where we grew up and had an amazing childhood, you know, lots of outdoor skiing, snowboarding, lots of fun stuff outdoors in the mountains. Um, And then I moved back over to the UK uh, when I was about, yeah, it was about 12 years old and I was there uh, through secondary school, college, went to university, and had a few jobs in London, worked there for a few years. I'd done some, I'd done a lot of traveling around the world and my sister had been living in Australia. So I'd visited her a couple of times and um, actually had a partner over in Melbourne at one point um, and had decided that I just really was ready for a change. Um, Quite a lot of that was to do with my sort of addiction journey and, um, feeling like I really needed a bit of a reset. And so I went through the the process of getting a visa, which took a good 18 months, nearly two years, uh, to get done, finally got that through and and then made the move. So that was just over two years ago, May,
0: 2019. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then you never looked back. You've been there ever since.
1: Ever since, yeah, and actually, I had lots of plans to go back and visit regularly, but obviously, with COVID, that's changed things a lot. So, um, in my first year, I did quite a lot of travel around regionally uh, in Victoria, which is where I am. I'm about 20 or so minutes away from the Great Ocean Road, so lots of you know beautiful scenery and adventures to be had around there. So, the first year. Was spent doing lots of adventuring and then COVID sort of came into play just as I was about to go to Bali on holiday, decided not to go, which is probably a good thing because I'd probably still be here, still be there now. Yeah. Um, but then obviously that put off any plan and sort of travel back to Europe. So I've not actually been back since I got here, which wow. has been quite challenging. Yeah. Wow, that's hard. Yeah. So I moved here with. My dog Hus- uh, Echo. He's a husky, uh, so he came with me. So he's my, my family rock over in Australia. But everyone else is back in Europe. My little brother actually is in LA. My mom's in Spain. My dad and my older brother are in Switzerland, and my wow. sister is in Switzerland and the UK at the moment. So what a global family! <laughs> yeah, my neighbour calls me uh, United Nations. <laughs>
0: that's amazing
1: (laughs) well i'm glad that you have
0: your dog echo with you because i know how hard it can be i've been separated from my family for the entire pandemic as well and i have a cat princess and uh she has been kind of an anchor for me through through this so
1: yeah they're amazing for that aren't they i think Mm -hmm. i've seen her actually on your instagram yeah yeah (laughs) So let's get a little bit into
0: your journey with alcohol. When did you start drinking and how did your relationship unfold with drinking over time?
1: Yeah, so drinking for me started um, quite early, early teens, I'd say, sort of secondary school age in England, um, sort of, yeah, probably 14 or so. Alcohol had already always been a part of my life it was it was something that was in you know my family drank not in a excessive way or anything like that but it was just always around Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a beer or wine with dinner or all of that sort of stuff so it wasn't anything that was new but in England it's fairly cultural to have alcohol you know around even from an early age and so when we would have school discos and things like that that would be the opportunity at our age to sort of you know at the time it would be sharing a beer probably a very minimal amounts but with fairly strong effects so that was the introduction to it it sort of just seemed very normal you know it wasn't a bad crowd or anything like that that i'd fallen into it was just very normal and everyone seemed to do it and that carried on through college and then university again and um, that probably got a little bit stronger in many ways, um, you know, probably at legal age as well to go out to bars and things like that. Everyone doing the same thing. And when I finished university, I, I've always been into food um, and restaurants and things like that. And I decided after university that I would, I really wanted to go into um, pub and restaurant management. And that was a little bit of a springboard really for the drinking career because you're surrounded by it constantly and even if guests are coming in maybe once a week and having a couple of drinks you're around every single person that's coming in so it's there you know every lunchtime every evening so it got very normal to get bought a drink or offered a drink or finish a shift and have a few more to wind down, um, all of that sort of thing. And actually, I'd I'd also worked in pubs in my teens, so it was a very natural environment to be around. And, you know, having the the bar there all open and all of that sort of thing, it it was just very normal. Um, And I got very accustomed to being around very drunk people or people also that were just doing it socially. So it was just the norm. Um, And I think over time, the tolerance obviously grew. You know, having... A drink just became the norm but from the other aspect as well it's a very very stressful environment you know the hours are very long it's very hard work you know physically a way to relax after a shift can be to have a few drinks yeah. to sort of release a lot of that but on the other side as well when you have a day off which it can be quite rare it sort of make up time for the weekend that, you, you know, I felt like I'd lost. So on a Monday or Tuesday, which was an, a day off, essentially it would be, okay, what can, I, what can I go and do? You know, I'll go to a restaurant and I'll, I'll do what people always do when they come to this restaurant. So that's where it all sort of started and, and really started to get out of control as well, to be honest, because that's where the volume grew quite substantially. Right. I can imagine
0: being in a work environment where you're around it all the time. Like I, I hear of so many people who talk about working in, you know, the, the alcohol industry in some form events or whatever, and it just becomes so the norm. And as you say, you know, these guests might be coming in one, two times a week, but you're, you're the constant, you're there every day around mm. it and just part
1: of it. Absolutely. And also what starts to creep in is the realisation how quickly you can get through a hangover because hair of the dog, you know, a drink the next day is so accessible and easily available. So what started to happen was, you know, on the hangover days, struggle through a hangover for until it was an acceptable time to have a drink to kind of, you know, get rid of the, the hangover or sort of top up essentially I suppose that's what's happening in the blood isn't it mm. um but that time got earlier and earlier and because it was so accessible and actually because a lot of people in that industry are in a similar boat it starts to get quite normal to then go oh should we just have the bloody mary this morning <laughs> you know and so suddenly drinking in the day can become drinking in the morning um so actually you sort of, sort of topping up, and then by the evening, I was feeling fine and, and good again, and the cycle would then continue. That's probably where it really started sort of ramping up, that, that sort of part of my life. I actually then left that industry because it was just too much and very unhealthy mentally and physically, but the drinking remained. Obviously, it was sort of part of the lifestyle then. Right,
0: yeah. So tell me about like, so where was a point when you started to think, you know, maybe I need to quit or maybe I, what was that sort of turning point for you when you started to realize that it wasn't healthy?
1: Yeah, good question. And um, actually it, it started creeping in where people would start commenting things, you know, or you're, you're drinking really quickly or do you remember what you did last night? And at the beginning, I could laugh it off as a kind of a one-off, but those one-offs became very, very frequent. And I was noticing myself that I was having these blackout memory losses, but still it wasn't enough. So I kind of had this, it was a sort of deep, dark, thinking feeling that I knew something was up, but I didn't have enough drive to go, okay, that's, that's too much. I'm going to stop. I think the alcohol had taken over by that point And I was looking for every reason not to stop and that it could be other things, you know, maybe it's just an allergy or maybe I just need to slow down and all of those sorts of things. And because other people were commenting on it, it actually started to bring on some shame around the drinking. And my coping mechanism with that was instead of cutting out the drinking was to start doing it secretly Mm -hmm. so for example if I had dinners with friends to get to the level that I wanted to be at with my drinking or you know the effects of the, the feelings of the drinking I would have a quick glass of wine in the kitchen before we sat down so that I would feel like I wasn't drinking super quickly during dinner, but I was at the level where I was feeling comfortable and confident and in my sort of jokey, you know, relaxed state of being. And that's actually when that kind of secret drinking started to, you know, get quite extreme because I realised I could carry on doing something that I perceived as something that I loved without anyone judging me for it. So it was like the the comments that people made and then the
0: secret drinking and how long did it go on like that, that you were drinking secretly?
1: A long time, actually, a few years, because it just seemed in my mind, like I was managing it. Right. And because I felt like I was managing it, I felt like I had control over it. Right. The reality is I really didn't. Um, But... You know, that, because I had that feeling, I was in a false sense of security that it wasn't an issue. Because mm-hmm. everyone, not everyone, some people were still mentioning it, you know, close family members, close friends. But generally on the outside, I wasn't coming across as I'd started coming across. So I kind of felt like I was back in the safety zone. Um, however, with tolerances, you know, growing and growing that amount, the volume that that was happening happening at was growing as well. So it became this kind of, well, horrible secret, really. And with that, shame grew. And unfortunately, as a result of the shame, I was wanting to block it out even more. Mm -hmm. So the cycle just went in circles, really.
0: And so was there a big turning point or a moment when you just decided, you know, enough is enough?
1: There were many, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I tried many times. So, there were a few times where that did happen where, you know, either I sat myself down or I got myself into a really dodgy situation, or a friend or family member would sit me down, and that would be a turning point. And I would, I sort of went through the book of, you know, all the different options. So, Mm -hmm. cutting down. Cutting down for a week, just working on, uh, just drinking on Sundays or after 7 pm or just one glass. But inevitably, as you can probably imagine, you know, those rules started getting very bendy and uh, they ended up being very rubbery and, you know, ended up just what would happen actually is I would do it for a period of time, you know, even up to a month, complete abstinence. But then the celebration would come. And I'd be like, hey, cool, I've just done a month. That means I haven't got an issue. Let's go to the pub. And then that would be the start of quite a big relapse session that could last for a couple of weeks or a month. And then I'd go through the cycle again. So that happened quite a few times. uh, Not the greatest results because each time it seemed to get heavier and harder and, you know, both in the way the amount that I drank but also the effects that I felt afterwards and because those effects were were getting stronger and more extreme in terms of the hangovers the anxiety all of that sort of stuff I would then naturally start turning to drink again to, to pull me out of it because it was habitual by that point you know it was my complete crutch and I relied on it to pull me out of Ironically, how I'd got into that situation. So, I was on this roundabout, and there was a point actually where my my older brother um, came over and, and and met with me, and, and we went away for the weekend, and we had a really, really amazing chat. And you know, he really voiced his concerns, and, and that's when I agreed to go to a rehab and do a month at rehab. I'd kind of got to this. I'd got to the brink of exhaustion and physical health and all of those sorts of things. And, and yeah, so I decided to go and I went to a rehab in Thailand for five and a half weeks, which was a very difficult, challenging, yet amazing experience and definitely the beginning of my recovery journey, which was four years ago, coming up to four years ago. It wasn't the beginning of my abstinence though, but it was certainly the beginning of my recovery. And I'm actually a real believer in celebrating recovery rather than just the abstinence because there's real strength in getting onto that journey. And I sometimes feel like when there's, even though it's a celebration to, to mark an occasion of abstinence, I think the beginning of the recovery journey is the real marker because in life we all fall over at points and it's about getting back up again and if we kept resetting the marker at zero every time we fell i don't think it would be the biggest or most empowering way to look back at all the hard work that we've done so so rehab was definitely my marker of the beginning of recovery and After Thailand, I had a stint of, you know, a really great, clear-minded, incredible journey, um, clean, no drinking. There was then a relapse. I got back on the horse. Um, I tried to remove all the shame. I had lots of support around, which was great. You know, a lot of things got aired through the rehab process, through treatment. There's a lot of encouragement to talk to people family friends that you know have been affected along the way as well so a lot of air had been cleared so I felt much more open and able to talk to those people when it happened rather than going back into the shame cave as I call it and that really helped me get back up. I was in actually uh, Indonesia um, at the time and I remember looking in the mirror and almost I just couldn't recognize my face. I looked really sad, had this big puffy moon face, you know, from too much alcohol, really bloated and physically just felt really weak. And it was a real, it was a real crash, crash moment. And it was at that point, I called a family member who was fortunately Indonesia at the time. And uh, he picked me up and that's when I was in more of a sort of safe house environment and met a recovery coach through him. Actually started going to a few 12 set meetings. And yeah, that's when it really ramped up again. And I saw the value of this sort of holistic approach of having a recovery coach. Uh, Indonesia, have you been to Bali? I'm obsessed with Bali. It is my favorite yeah. place in the world. I love it. Yeah, so as a yogi, you, I'm sure you understand when I say yeah. like, with yoga there it took on a whole new level you know yoga for me before that was an asana practice for fitness and things like that and while i was in bali i really fell in love with the true sense of how important it could be in my life and so that's where the recovery really strengthened um i then went back to europe and saw family and friends um it was a very difficult time because it felt like I was walking back into the shame cave, you know, that all of the the bad stuff had happened in, in Europe. And right. and so I felt really ready to move to Australia. So I made plans and, you know, packed up my stuff. There was still a little waiting around and, and sort of planning and things like that and other reasons to be in, in Europe, um, but then made the move. And yeah, I think for me, Australia has been a really solid space to be in recovery. There's obviously a big drinking restaurant culture, but there's also an amazing outdoor, healthy coffee shop, cafe, walks on the beach kind of lifestyle. And that's the one that I harnessed when I got here. Fortunately, there was a yoga studio right opposite my first apartment. I was there every morning. um, I was in touch with people in recovery, you know, all these sorts of things. And it it just felt really strong while I was here.
0: That's amazing. What an inspiring journey and story. And um, I particularly like what you said about, you know, celebrating the whole journey, not just full abstinence, because I think I know I have so many clients who just beat themselves up when they've had a slip. And it's like, you have to think about, you know like i'll give me as an example um i quit drinking in 2019 in april 2019 and after i made it through a year i actually had a couple of occasions where i had a beer on a staycation and i'm a sober coach and people said i ended up talking about it on social media and some people said you know you're not sober and i'm like well i'm not binge drinking at a bar Every day of the week, like I used to two years ago, so I personally don't think having one beer on a staycation changes this journey that I've been on, right? And we get so shamed for, I mean, obviously, I don't want to make it into a habit of drinking and I have to make a plan so that I am staying on this sober path and, right, it's only happened on two occasions, but there are so many people that take that as like oh my god it's over i'm starting again at zero and it's like in reality you have put in so much work to get to where you've been and we need to celebrate all of that and not just the and not just kick ourselves for for falling right we all fall sometimes
1: absolutely and it works in so many different areas of life you know if you've been uh focusing on nutrition and then you have a piece of chocolate cake it's not It doesn't erase all of the hard work that's gone into it. And with my recovery, you know, if I'd mentally, if I told myself, oh, I'm back to zero, you know, it would have erased all of that hard work that I'd done. So I, and I celebrate and I really am proud of myself for all of that hard work that did happen. I think I heard you mention on one of your podcasts that you did one year no beer, yeah, there's another movement actually. It's Australian-based uh, called Hello Sunday Morning, and I don't know if you've heard of it.
0: I haven't. No,
1: um, and it's great. They basically the whole concept is around celebrating what you can do on a Sunday morning if you're not hungover. So I love that. I love it. Yeah, that. actually, I've got the t-shirt on. <laughs> Funnily enough, I didn't plan it. I just, just realised it. that. it's similar to One Year you No know, Beer in the way that it helps people see a life without alcohol. And there's none of these sort of markers of, okay, well, you failed because, you know, you tried and then it didn't work and you had a beer. And I really strongly feel, especially as a recovery coach, um, that removing that shame from the markers helps people just get back up and, be proud of what they've done and be empowered by what they've done rather than think, well, I've done it once. So what's the point? Because I'll just fail again kind of thing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I want to I hear more about what um, your program was like in Thailand, because you're the first person I've ever had on the show that's chosen Um, or that has done a program like that. And um, I'm just so interested in hearing, you know, like all different paths of recovery. So what was that like?
1: I was really scared on my way. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been to one. I didn't know anyone that had been to one or no one had shared it. You know, having been to one now, I realize so many people go and it's likely that I probably know people that have been to, to rehab as well. It was amazing. Um, it was a combination treatment program. So the directors uh, were psychologists, but then there was also a 12 step aspect to it. And then there was a therapy aspect to it as well. So there was a lot of CBT and um, cognitive behavioral therapy that we did. There was the 12 step aspect that was, you know, we could choose to that. Some people feel quite strongly against it. So it was encouraged, but not, Necessary. Yeah, we all yeah. had a therapist, and then um, I was very fortunate to go to one that had a beautiful gym and an outdoor pool and all of this sort of stuff. So they really encouraged fitness as part of it as well. There was also a lot of time for personal reflection and doing workbooks. So really working through, you know, the causes where we think it started. Um, there was one exercise that was particularly hard, actually, where you had to write your obituary and um, it was quite extreme. It wasn't a mandatory thing. It was just encouraged um, and it is helpful. It was a helpful thing, actually. And then the other thing that was probably most helpful to me was we had to write our life story and share it with the group. And that was really eye-opening because as well as seeing other people vulnerable and hearing other people's stories, actually voicing one's own story can be very liberating um, in ways that I didn't even expect. So it was quite an amazing process to go through. And what else did we do? We also had um, daily meetings. So all of us would sit, there would be a subject, and then we could go around and offer our thoughts on it and you know let the conversation flow basically and I think you know the main idea with all of this was to allow us to sort of have a voice grow our self-esteem find out where things were coming from why they happened learn the tools to use sort of going forward as well and yeah everything in between so it was an amazing experience actually that's Fantastic it sounds so holistic
0: Um, like there's just so many elements to it and I'm just picturing you know what I'm picturing it's like so I have um, I traveled around Southeast Asia and I was in Thailand in 2018 right before I um, got sober actually and um, it's so interesting because it's like for me Southeast Asia and that part of Southeast Asia in particular is just like I just picture myself like stumbling down the street with like buckets of alcohol in my hand, getting home to hostel, 3.00 AM, being in some guy's hostel bed. (laughs) And I'm just like, wow, it's like this part of the world where people go like me to like, you know, I'm like finding myself while I'm like, backpacking around Southeast Asia, but I'm just like getting drunk the whole time. And, and, and your version of Thailand, I'm like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Um, like, it just sounds like that's actually when people say like, you know, I'm backpacking around Southeast Asia looking for myself. I'm like, that's what people should be doing, (laughs) you know, like just like deep reflection and like, you know, whether or not you're, you're struggling with like addiction just like that just sounds like you just really had space to like to find yourself that sounds like that's what finding yourself should be when you go to Southeast Asia anyway (laughs)
1: yeah yeah and actually I mean there were many confronting parts to it it was a very tough you know it was exhausting in many ways Mm -hmm. um and it was strange being there as well because people come from so many different backgrounds and you know I started thinking, oh, maybe I haven't got a problem because I was hearing other people's stories and they felt so extreme yeah. compared to mine. I started really questioning things. But as time went on and as therapy went on, you know, things came out and there was very clear reasons as to why this could have this, this had been happening. But you're, what you're talking about with traveling around Southeast Asia, the other side of it, I've also experienced that. And it's dangerous, actually, for yeah. someone with oh, yeah. drinking issue because it's so accessible and easy and cheap and all those things. And um yeah, so I'm I'm happy to have seen those places from this side yeah. because they started being in that shame cave with the rest of the world <laughs> that I'd been in and, and and so it's nice to have seen the other side of, of the coin.
0: Yeah, it's um it's like so i the first time i went to bali i was really i was on a yoga teacher training and i was very um i was still drinking at this point very preoccupied with like how i was going to get off the yoga retreat resort to have a drink you know sneak out and have a drink and then i went back to bali a few years later and experienced it sober and it was just like incredible and so it's it's like clarity and contrast you know so i would really love to go back to southeast asia and do that journey again from sober eyes i think it would be an incredible just different experience
1: yeah and like you were saying about bali it's the same there isn't it when you see Mm -hmm. it through sober eyes it's you know the coconuts the amazing smoothie bowls the yoga studios the shalas. you know the people everything is just so beautiful um in so many ways so yeah southeast asia highly recommend doing another trip yeah definitely when COVID ends yes
0: all right so tell me about how you became a recovery coach
1: so while i was in bali in my recovery stages i met a guy through a friend who actually hosts or or, um, yeah, hosts one-to-one recovery programs for executives or you know people who need to go and just do something one-on-one. They don't want to go to rehab. They need some discretion. They want to do it privately, um, and they have specific requests with what they want to do. So the easiest thing for them to do is just have a one-to-one program. So I was asked by him to go and help and be the sober companion with the guest and i absolutely loved it and it really it felt it felt great helping someone and it also helped me on my recovery there, there was a sense of really strong sense of purpose with what i was doing i could really connect with what i was doing because i had felt it, it was lived experience and i saw the changes and uh, the positive changes in that guest and i I'd gone back to Switzerland after that. And then I got asked to go back and help with another guest. So I I went over and I worked with someone else there for a few weeks. And again, just absolutely loved it. I'd actually done some yoga teacher training in Bali when I'd been there the last time while I was there for about six months. So with that client, I was doing the sober companionship, but I was also doing yoga teaching one-to-one. And it just just connected, it just really resonated. The two things, um, knowing also how yoga has helped me on my recovery journey, being able to give that opportunity to someone else to experience and help them was really magical. So that was the first flavor of it. I then was focusing on my my brand strategy work that I still do now, Um, but that was the main focus when I came to Australia because You know, I I needed full time work and it's something that I love and my experience in and so on. Then in twenty early twenty twenty, when I was at home during COVID, I thought how can I use my time as effectively as possible? And that's when I completed my yoga teacher training and also um, my recovery coaching training and really knew that it was something that I had to pursue. It was just a really strong, a strong calling if I can call it that without sounding corny um, and just needed to pursue it, and made the decision and did it, and loved loved the process. There was a substantial amount of hours that I had to do as training, mm-hmm. um, you know eighty to hundred hours or so, and it was good because it 's a good test to see if you actually really like it when you have to do you know one to ones for that many hours. And I just kept loving it more and more. Um, And my mentors were obviously helping me and and sort of uh, mentoring me, coaching me along the way. And I got so much great insight and so on. So yeah, that's where it all started really a few years ago and then really sort of exploded into something that I had to do. That's incredible. So how do you work with clients
0: now? What do you do um,
1: in your programs? so I do predominantly one-to-one mm-hmm. and um, there are lots of different ways I help them so one of the ways that's really helped me in my own recovery is um, habit forming and goal setting it's been yeah. a huge part of my own recovery and so that's something that I really like to focus on with clients because I know how effective it can be um, I look at helping them develop Uh, sort of more holistic and balanced way of living Mm -hmm. you know generally Um, I help them find effective ways to you know regulate emotional ups and downs Uh, mindfulness practices that's where the yoga really comes in I had a client a few weeks ago who was really nervous before a job interview and we did some breathing exercises that's Sort of come off the back of the yoga training, so they really they really complement each other in that way. And, and my methodology with the coaching, um, but really also I I help people help people identify what their blind spots or triggers might be. Um, you know, if they're feeling wobbly or maybe they can't see something, the types of questions that I ask yeah. will often help them find something that actually is you know, really bothering them. And that's what's caused a ripple effect in their behaviours. I really love helping people dive into their purpose, their sort of reason for being, because, well, I suppose, again, it comes back to my personal experience, knowing that I found the thing that I love doing or the things that I love doing and how that strengthened my recovery so much. I really like to help and coach people through that process as well to help them come to those conclusions and then work with them to go, okay, well, what's the plan from now? You know, it's, it, there's lots of bits and pieces, neurological stuff and, um, you know, positive psychology. It really varies on clients. And um, we're all different. You know, we all need different ways to get to the point or the place where we want to be. So the programs are very, very much tailored to that person generally i'll start with an eight-week program and then we'll go from there um, some people will like to carry on weekly after that some people prefer to go down to every couple of weeks um, or some people will say okay actually let's check in again once i've reached this milestone and let's see where we can go from there amazing
0: that sounds very similar um to kind of the work i do i do eight-week programs as well um and it's very tailored and custom to kind of whatever the individual needs
1: yeah yeah because we're all different beings aren't we you know Mm -hmm. it's the same with recovery 12-step might work for one person rehab might work for another and they're such different approaches so it's the same i believe with coaching and and yoga as well degree as well so so i have a question for you if someone were
0: to be curious about sobriety what advice would you give them
1: give it a try have the courage to try it um i don't think i gave myself good enough chances to try and when i really did and really saw what was on the other side of addiction which is essentially recovery I saw the gifts and what an amazing way of living it is um, so my piece of advice yeah would be just have the courage to try set a goal of a certain amount of time and then really review it afterwards I think the reviewing often we can forget you know after a certain point and I think reviewing can be really important from the perspective of you know even a pros and cons of of drinking and then the pros and cons of not drinking. And I'm pretty confident that the cons of not drinking, though often doing both of those lists can be really helpful. Yeah. That's a great suggestion.
0: And what about if someone were interested in starting a yoga practice? What advice would you give to someone about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, similarly, have the courage to try. Um, yeah. it can it can be really daunting. You know, there are a lot of yoga studios that um, have lots of fairly challenging asana classes or people that look like gymnasts and are bending in all sorts of contortionist ways and it can be quite quite a scary prospect to walk into a room of people that could be like that so the courage to try and also the courage and yeah just the courage to try lots of different versions because there are so many different layers of yoga whether it's an asana practice trying a yin class or going and trying something a little bit more hot and heavy and challenging um, or even removing oneself from the asana practice and listening to an an audiobook on the, the lost traditions of yoga you know really trying different angles of what this amazing practice is to see which one resonates and then sort of going deeper in from that angle. That's amazing advice. Yeah, totally. Because I think it
0: can be so scary and sometimes you can look at a yoga practice and think, you know, I can't do a headstand or I can't do the splits. So that's not for me. Um, when really there is like so much depth to it. Um, and so finding, the community or the teacher or the practice that resonates with you and inspires you it's actually very similar as you said to the recovery journey you know different things will work for different people and it's just finding what works for you
1: yeah absolutely there are so many different layers to it and even you know from a I, I do really also recommend or suggest that people do dive into the the history of it as well as the physical aspect because it's fascinating and it's thousands and thousands of years old and it's amazing there are so many um, books audiobooks audible actually there's a couple of really great ones there's the lost traditions of yoga and sorry the lost teachings of yoga by George Forstein, and there's another one uh, by Dr James Mallinson who speaks it actually himself he reads his own book and that one's called the lost tradition of hatha yoga Mm -hmm. and it goes through the whole history of where it all started and it's amazing awesome those are great recommendations i will check them out yeah please let me know what you think so
0: if any of our listeners um would like to find you um where can they find you online
1: The best place is uh, my website. So that's um, thewolfefeed.com. And there's lots of information on there on coaching, recovery. Uh, There's a few uh, blog posts on there as well about, you know, habit forming and how the brain works in, you know, linked to addiction and things like that. And there's a contact form on there as well. So if anyone's a little bit more curious to find out more, then they can contact me on there and um, and yeah, we can go from there and have a chat. Amazing. Perfect. And I'll put that in the
0: uh, the episode description so that people can just click that link and, and head over to check you out. Thank you. Sophie, it was so amazing to meet you. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I was saying right before the episode started recording that uh, you're actually the first guest that I'm having on that side of the world. Um, We don't have a lot of community members from Australia. um, So I really, it's awesome that you're the first one and you were a great first guest (laughs) in Australia. Um, But thank you so much and um, I look forward to kind of staying in touch and seeing how your your journey continues to evolve.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I've absolutely loved it and I find it amazing, you know, even though we're in this pandemic and we can't travel, online is this borderless world of connection and it's amazing to talk to you where you are at your time of day, you know. From where I am at my time of day. So, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I hope that we carry on chatting at some point. Stay connected. We definitely will. All right, take care, Sophie. You
0: too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Sober Yoga Girl with Alex McRobbs. I am so, so grateful for every one of you. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one and leave a review before
1: you go. See you soon. Bye.